Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, May 17th, 2019. It's a day of celebration for me. Oh, made it through the worst Easter sermon of the year contest. At least four of the contestants. One more to go. And this is going to be a tough road to hoe, but there's light at the end of this very dark tunnel. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine doctrine that's put forward for consumption by the average evangelicals far from biblical far from what god's word says it's just generally a complete mess out there and what we're trying to do is backfill a lot of biblical teaching and a proper understanding of god's word in order to well inoculate you against the wolves to help you understand what the scriptures do say is so much better than uh, what's being said by so many people today, it's it's like there's no comparison. And uh, the idea then is we also want to save you an eternity of woe. And uh, we mean that in the eternal judgment kind of sense. So here it is, uh, Friday, we are at the very last installment of our worst Easter sermon of the year contest. All I can say to that is, woot, woot, and <laughs> thank the Lord and sing his praise. That's all I got to say. And the, um, yeah, I don't know if I've saved the, the worst for last. All I know is, is that, um, wow. <laughs> How do I explain what it is that we're going to be hearing? Let me, let me put it this way. We're going to be heading down to the net church, the, the net church. I think they are in Tennessee 
Hold on a second here. Yes, they are in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we're going to be listening to Ryan May, who is their uh, lead teaching pastor, and he has no joke for pretty much most of 2019 been doing a sermon series on the documentary about the life of Mr. Rogers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you heard that right. And, uh, you know, apparently the Bible's way too, you know, irrelevant to actually preach from that. And so the name of the uh, sermon that we'll be listening to for Easter Sunday of 2019, delivered by Ryan May, is titled, Won't You Be My Neighbor? We All Have Something to Offer. Yeah, and so if I understand what he said correctly, and in the sermon as I was previewing it, um, they've been working their way line by line, you know, uh, precept upon precept, working their way through the documentary on the life of Mr. Rogers. Yeah, and so Easter Sunday, they are kind of wrapping things up there and to say that this is vapid to say that this is lacking of any kind of biblical substance would be an understatement uh but from from listening to ryan the best way i can describe him is is he sounds like you know a modern esjw postmodern liberal who's clearly been influenced by you know rob bell and others you know, the, you know, I would say that you know the, the Rob Bell influence is quite noticeable, and as a result of that, he's abandoned historic biblical Christianity, and we're going to point out the the glaring hypocrisy of the things that he is saying. Yeah, there's there's a way in which people try to make themselves sound so humble, and they don't even recognize that the thing that they are describing, that they are critiquing, they're doing that exact same thing in the moment. It's kind of like the person who says, well, who are you to judge? The, the Bible says judge not, and you're judging, You know, to which you basically just need to point out, um, excuse me, but uh, you just judged me. Yeah, yeah, that's weird that you would do that because you you said that uh, judge not lest you be judged, and uh, you know how, how's the one quip go back on that one? You know, you know, twist not God's word <laughs> lest you fall into the condemnation of the devil. Anyway, so uh, that's gonna be today's installment, and once we are able to get this posted, we will open up uh, voting for uh, this worst this year's worst Easter sermon of the year contest. We're gonna limit it. To the five contestants, uh, one <laughs> from each day this year. And part of that is due to sanity reasons. I like to maintain that if at all possible. And uh, and I will note that uh, y'all sent me some real stinkers. So, you know, I'm just uh, really thankful once again for the annual harvest of uh, <clears throat> worst Easter sermonage that I got to swim through in preparation for this year's contest. So let me uh, whirl this up and we'll get into it proper. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. Wah, wah, wah. The good, the bad, the the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon 
reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the Net Church, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Ryan May presiding in name of the sermon. I've already given it, but we'll reiterate it here for tradition's sake. The name of the sermon is, Won't You Be My Neighbor? We all have something to offer, and yes, this is a sermon preached on Easter Sunday, and Ryan May will make sure to remind us of all of that, because as your jaw is hitting the ground, you may be tempted to say to yourself, there's no way, there is no way that on Easter Sunday, somebody who calls themselves a Christian pastor was preaching on the documentary about the life of Mr. Rogers. But if that's what you're feeling, your feelings are incorrect. This is just a historical fact, and um, when this is all over, you yourselves will be given the opportunity to decide who is this year's worst Easter Sermon of the Year winner in our contest that we have every year. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. Without any further ado, here's Ryan May, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Good morning. Happy Easter. See, I told you this was an Easter sermon. On his Resurrection Sunday, it is so good to be with you today. If you're new, my name's Ryan May, lead pastor of the Net Church, and we're glad you decided to join us as well. Do you like my purple shirt? Everybody yeah. like that? My wife bought this for me. She brought it home one day and said, this is what you're wearing for Easter. And so when my wife says, this is what you're wearing for Easter, that's what you wear. I did pick my own socks, though, but they're pretty good, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, normally you would want to begin a sermon with a biblical text, the text you'll be preaching on. And, you know, it's uh, Christian churches, uh, you know, around the globe for the last few millennia, you know, have oftentimes begun their Easter sermons with the pastor saying, He is risen, and, and people responding, He is risen indeed, alleluia. You know, things like that to remind us of the fact that Christ, you know, conquered the grave. Kind of a big deal. It's the big story of Easter, you know. Yeah, can you see that in the camera? Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, could be worse. She could be making me wear a suit today. That would have been awful. Um, a couple announcements for you, and then we'll jump into the message today. Five announcements, actually. Five announcements. So we're going to hit these, and then we'll move on. First is next steps is right after. Uh, announcements during a sermon. Okay service. So if you're new to the church, maybe you're visiting us for the first time today and you like what you see, uh, come hang with us at Next Steps. It's right after this service in the arcade area. We'll answer questions that you have. We'll tell you a little bit about the church. And more importantly, we'll get to know you. If you don't like what you see today, just go on past that area and go out the door and never talk about this again to anyone. Be awesome. Yeah. Uh, next thing is uh, we've got a meetup next Sunday. So we've been doing these for the last couple months. This is how we're connecting relationally as a church right now. So if you uh, want to go beyond the Sunday experience, beyond even next steps, maybe you want to meet some people, uh, we'll be in Cleveland next week at the Old Willow Mill from 5 to 7. It'll be a potluck style dinner, and we'll just hang for a bit there. And then we're going to do another one the next Sunday in Chattanooga. And then it'll be Mother's Day, and then we'll skip Mother's Day because nobody wants to be – you want to be with your mothers on Mother's Day maybe or somewhere else other than. So we're going to skip that day, and then the Sunday after that will be in the Hicks and Soddy area. So uh, those are coming. Would love to have you be a part of any or 
all of those. You're welcome to any or all. The next thing I have for you is At The Movies is next Sunday. So, so excited about this. If you've never been here for At The Movies, I know a lot of you are new to the church over the last few months. So he's been preaching for almost the whole year on Mr. Rogers' documentary. And they're, they're going to start a sermon series called Church At The Movies. And my question is, when do they ever get to the Bible? Don't miss, this is what I'm just going to say, don't miss any of the next four weeks because we are going to be showing movie clips mixed with teaching by video that is weaved together and uh, it's really great. And then we also serve popcorn and drinks, which is bonus. And so it's just a wonderful experience. Popcorn and drinks at church. I mean, that's probably better than the Lord's Supper, you know. So come and invite several people to come with you. I think you got invite cards for that in your note sheets today. And then there's more at the green table on your way out if you want more to hand out. Uh, the other thing I'll mention with that is on the other end of At The Movies, we're going to be talking a little bit more about church structure and how we uh, are organized as a church kind of from a leadership standpoint. We talked about that before we started the Mr. Rogers series, which was a long time ago. But on the other end of the movie series, we're going to shore that up and share with you kind of names of who and what all that looks like for us going forward, if you've been wondering. The last thing I want to mention is this then. What do you want to talk about? This is our church phone number. So I want you to text today what you would like to talk about going forward. We've got at the movies. We're going to do some things after the movies. And then after that, uh, I'm thinking through what we're going to do. And I want your input and help with this. Why don't you just, you know, disciple them in Christianity and, you know, work your way through the full counsel of the word of God? You know, there's there's not like you know, there's a book or anything that we should be working our way through. If there's a topic you want covered, if there's a question that you have, if there's something you would just love to hear us explore or engage in, talk to us about it and it might happen because we're we're going to we're going to go that route. Jesus often did this. He would a lot of the things Jesus taught were questions that people asked and then he would teach around that. So we want to know what your questions are so that it can guide some of what we do as a church. So I'm going to leave that up there for a moment. Text away if you want, or just record that number and then text later. If you have an idea, you can do it this week. If you want to give it some thought, that's all good. That's all we got for announcements. Uh, we're going to wrap up today where we've been the last 14 Sundays. 14 weeks. 14. Which is in, in a series entitled, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Uh, and someone had said to me a couple weeks ago, we were at one of the meetups and, and we were talking about it. And they said, it's kind of this series has really helped define the net as well as anything else. The net is the name of their church. I thought that was a pretty good way to sum up what we've done over the past 14 weeks. So we're going to finish all. Yeah, God's word, not important enough to make the cut for the last 14 weeks or the weeks following with their movie series. We're going to kind of close the loop here today with a message entitled, We All Have Something to Offer. A few things you should know as we get started today, especially if you're new. Uh, one, how this has worked is each week of this series, we've been working through the documentary about Mr. Rogers' life. A clip you just saw a moment. Most, you know, pastors in the past have worked their way through, you know, maybe like the Book of Romans you know, maybe Genesis or, you know, parts of the Old Testament. You've been working your way through the Mr. Rogers documentary. Wow. Wow, that's impressive in a horrific way. 
Show was kind of the promo of that, but Won't You Be My Neighbor was the documentary. came out last summer. The way we've been doing this is by taking a clip from the film each Sunday. We show it, and then we talk about it. So we'll do that today. And then after today, we, we will have watched all 94 minutes of the documentary at church. Minus a few swear words that we edited out to make it more palatable to your children. But the rest we use to talk about how we are to treat others primarily who are different than us, especially. Yeah. Um, you know, does, do you think the Bible might, you know, have one or two things to say about love for a neighbor and things like that? You know, I'm just asking. Though also along the way, we talked about how to treat ourselves because that's important too. All of which began on January 20th with a message that week entitled The Better Use of the Church. We kicked things off by talking about how it is important to love over condemn because that is the better use of the church. We also in that week talked about, if you remember... Yeah, well, Jesus had no problem condemning, you know, the Pharisees. You know, just, just saying, so... Uh, inviting others into a circle, a shared space versus drawing lines of separation between us and them, whoever. Yeah, that's weird. Um, You know, the Apostle Paul, you think of, you know, maybe like the book of Galatians, you know, the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit makes a distinction between us and them in regards to the Judaizers and those who were teaching salvation by works of the law. And he said of them that they were anathema. And then, you know, you know, think about the Apostle Paul, you know, there in the uh, the book of Titus, saying that, uh, you know, that we're to re- sharply rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine, you know, things like that. Weird, yeah. Maybe at any given moment, because unfortunately we're always coming up with new thems to exclude in the church. And so the first 10 weeks were all about how do we do this? What does it look like to invite others into this shared space the ne- what, what does it look like to invite people into a shared space yeah it's weird i thought christianity was about calling sinners to repent of their sins and to be forgiven because christ jesus has bled and died for them you know something like that four weeks today included were are all about what do we do once they're in the space so it's they showed up They're here. Now what do we do? And so we've been talking about that over the last few weeks, and we're going to talk about it a bit more today as we close out the series with this message, because there is still this one thing that is outstanding that needs to be talked about. There is still one thing left to cover. There is still one thing, I think if we're not careful, we can fall into, one thing that can undermine all that we've accomplished by inviting others in, one thing that if we don't nail this, we could find ourselves right back where we started. Before we get into what that one thing is, though, I first want to show you the only two scenes from the Mr. Rogers documentary that we haven't shown you yet. So these Now, a are- little bit of a note, uh, you know, for copyright reasons, they don't show them. We won't be playing them. We're just delivering to you the sermon as delivered on their, uh, their website. Scenes that we left out somewhere along the last 13, 14 weeks. We're then going to talk about uh, reproductive organs. What? What did he just say? What? The, it's Easter, Ryan. I know. 
We just gave new meaning to Easter eggs. <laughs> Sorry. I knew I shouldn't invite my mom today. <laughs> uh, after organs, we'll talk about uh, a thing social work- workers are often told to be careful of, to be aware of as they step into that field of study. And then uh, I want to read to you an excerpt from a book about a magician named Nate and his experience at the Shandupur Depot in New Delhi, India. And then after that, we're going to take a moment to tie in the clips, the organs, the social workers, and the magician back into the Easter story in a conversation that precedes that. You're going to tie all that back into the Easter story. Really? I can hardly wait to hear it. And then after all that, we're going to drive the whole thing home with a tweet by a rabbi on the progression of inclusion, which we'll talk about in response to the one question you will still have by the end of this message that I have yet to answer. And then we'll close it up with this really great song that sums up the last 14 weeks. So who's in? You good? All right, buckle up. It's about to go down. We're going to start with the two scenes we haven't yet shown you, the two we have left out. All right, so they won't play them, so we will just keep going with the video. So the question you may be asking yourself at this very moment is, what does a child with disabilities and a gorilla have to do with Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Ryan May? Yeah, that 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 would be a legitimate question, considering apparently the uh, clip you played included uh, all of those elements, including a gorilla. <clears throat> Though you might still be stuck on what do reproductive organs have to do with all of that. So we'll start there and work our way out. About a year ago, my wife sent me to the store with a grocery list. Notice we do not have a biblical text that he's preaching from, the job of a pastor, according to Scripture which means according to God, is to preach the word. We, we have not heard what biblical text he will be preaching from. He is not referencing a biblical text. We are now in a an embarrassing life story, apparently, where we're going to learn some valuable group therapy life lessons of some kind or another. And while I was in this store, it was Walmart, to be more precise, because that's where I shop, unless it's deli meat, and then she makes me go to Publix. But in Walmart, I bumped into the mother of a child I coached in soccer a few years ago. Now, something you should know about pastors, at least this pastor, is that whenever I am in public and I run into people, I know there's a part of me that goes into pastor mode. If you don't know what pastor mode is, it's basically this thing where you feel as though you have to put on your helper hat. It's basically this idea that when you're engaging with another person in pastor mode, you automatically filter the conversation through the lens of, what can I offer this person? Because I am the pastor and that is my job, which is to help you. All of which is to say, the last thing one does in pastor mode, the last thing I was thinking about, that day is how this person could possibly help me. Or we'll say it this way. The last thing I was thinking was that she had something to offer me. However, as we were talking, she kept looking down at me. Kept looking down. And, and, and I noticed that she was looking down at my list. It occurred to me then at one point as we were talking, she was looking at my list that she was holding back laughter. (laughs) Until she could hold it back no longer, at which point she let it out. (laughs) (laughs) Pointing. 
is everything okay? Oh, oh, I'm fine, she said. But you might want to keep that list flat down as you walk through the store. Odd thing to say. So I looked at the list. I didn't notice anything out of the ordinary about my list. And then I flipped the paper over. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is when I saw this. <laughs> that on the paper, the paper has apparently uh, got a, a pictorial depiction of a woman's uterus. And it says, my reproductive organs on it. So, yeah, this is quite an embarrassing situation indeed. Because, see, we homeschool. (laughs) And so apparently among the scrap sheets of paper available to write a grocery list on was a particular sheet that contained a lesson in anatomy. That says my uterus and my ovaries go here if you can't read it. My testicles go... So after saying to the the mother, oh, thank you. (laughs) Okay. And then as quickly exiting the conversation as I could, I texted that picture to my wife. Who responded with, LOL, you found it. (laughs) I was wondering how long it would take you. Because she did it on purpose. (laughs) Good on you. Yeah, can I just tell you that nothing will pull a person out of pastor mode (laughs) faster than having a mom reveal to you in Walmart that your grocery list is written on the backside of a uterus. Oh, that's, that's so funny and so embarrassing, yeah. What does this have to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ again? Because I'm supposed to be helping her. That's my job. And she was helping me in ways I never fathomed I could be helped when I walked into Walmart. A humbling experience to be sure. And one that just so happens to be about what we're talking about today. Because the last thing, if you were here, you might remember last week we talked about was the importance of our getting help and letting others in. But it's doubtful that many of us took that message to mean that we should let those that, that we see as needing our help help us. A professional, sure. A coach, why not? A teacher, absolutely. Your spouse, maybe. But those other people, I don't think so. What do they have to offer? 
who who are they exactly and what do they have to do with Jesus's vicarious penal substitutionary death on the cross for our sins and his bodily resurrection from the grave? There are just certain people who will always be in our mind on the receiving end of our help. There are some people we always will have to pastor along. Because there are just some people who will never know as much as we do, right? And you'll notice he's saying this while pastoring people. Not pastoring them into Christianity, but notice he's helping them along. Mm -hmm. Just pointing that out. Maybe. But the problem is with that line of thinking, if that's true, is that it leaves this gaping hole in terms of what we've been talking about in this series. Because what it means is that our inclusion of others is closer to graceful tolerance than true equality. Yeah, so he's gracefully tolerating the people there at the Net Church and uh, not really considering them as true equals to himself because, you know, he's pastoring right now. Such is the hypocrisy of, of... you know, these types of statements and this worldview. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a big problem. In fact, I'm told there is this thing in social work known as the helper helpy relationship. So doctors, counselors, therapists, those who help others with their thing. In the relationship, the doctor, counselor, therapist is the helper, the client, the patient is the helpy. They're the receiver. Which means the doctor, the counselor, the therapist is in this position of power and authority. But interestingly enough, those who enter these fields are often taught to be careful with this power. And that honestly, the best thing that you can actually do with that power is share it with the helpy. Because one of the things, among other things that can happen as you are helping another person, if you're not careful, is that you begin to see yourself as superior to the other. And that then makes the other feel inferior to you. Because you have something to offer them, but they have nothing to offer you. Or so it seems. That's ridiculous. Who thinks that way? That, you know, that they are somehow so superior to all of humanity that nobody has anything that they can offer them. Yeah, that's, this just sounds like a false construct to me. The downside of this long term is that that it actually weakens the relationship between the two parties. How many of you ever been in a a doctor's office where you felt this? Right. And it tears the relationship apart because at this point, the relationship is based on power and control and perceived inequality. One party holds all the cards or at least thinks they hold all. I don't know when it comes to, you know, care for my body, you know, medically, I'm going to trust my doctors. Uh. You know, I might question them. I may get a second opinion, but uh, I didn't go to medical school. I haven't passed the medical boards. Uh, you know, the, as a professional, my expectation is is that they have done what is necessary to be experts in their field so that they can serve humanity with that expertise. What's wrong with that? It doesn't ha- it doesn't imply some you know, somehow that they are more powerful than I am. It implies that they've studied and are able to help me in ways that I am incapable of helping myself. 
because my field of expertise is Christian doctrine, theology, and apologetics, not medicine. Cards. And you can see this play out in all sorts of places, some of the places we've already named, but one of the places you can see it is in the church. You've probably seen it. It's any time the church, in an effort to do good, reaches out to a certain group of people and in the process makes that group of people feel less than the people who are helping them. Poor you. Let us help you. Says the man who is helping the people there at the net church. Embrace this way of looking at things. Oh, poor them. And poor me, apparently, you know, because I, you know, I, I, am, I'm just, I just don't understand how to properly embrace the other because I clearly haven't exegeted the uh, Mr. Rogers documentary, Poor Me. I mean, if only I were more enlightened, I wouldn't be considering this sermon to be held up as an example of a bad Easter sermon. Yeah, poor me. This is actually why at the net not too long ago, when we talked about this earlier in the year, that we actually rethought one of our values of of the dream team the dream team is like anybody who serves in the church and so we we took one of those it was our fourth value and we changed one word because it used to read we never take our eyes off the lost but now it reads we never take our eyes off the one because what this value really is supposed to be a reminder of is is that those coming in are no different than those already in because we're all a bit lost if we were honest it's just that the yeah, saying you're a bit lost is not talking about what it means to be lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, Scripture says. Who are they? What does it mean to be lost in that context? What does the word lost mean when it is used in that way? Answer, uh, we have all rebelled against God. We are all born dead in trespasses and sins under the dominion of darkness. And so, in that sense, we are all born lost. And through the preaching of the gospel, through the, you know, through the word of God, the word of Christ, God himself works repentance in us and transfers us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. And we go from being lost to being found. I would even point you to the story of the prodigal son, or the lost coin, or the um, lost sheep. You know, you know, there's a con. You know, the the Bible defines lostness in when it's used in that way. And so, notice what he says. Well, we got rid of, we rethunk one of our values. We used to keep our eyes on the lost, and well, now we just keep our eyes on the one because you know, after all, we're all kind of lost in one way or another, which is a complete obfuscation complete changing of the categories of how Scripture is defining lost when it talks about those people who are born dead in trespasses and sins, which is all of us. We've gone from lost to found. You even think of you know, that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So, so there, you know, you'll note that uh, Ryan here is steering them away from the concept of biblical lostness, sinfulness, and now we're embracing some weird quasi-postmodern SJW liberalism about embracing the other and nonsense like that. 
one who is really no different than this one isn't yet where they should be, which is in here with the rest of us who are all trying to figure things out too. Because see, the helper doesn't always have it together either. In fact, to- tomorrow, I don't know of may any fall. Christian or any human being who has it all together. Not one. And they are now the ones who need help. That was the point of last week's message, right? Which reminds me of a magician, actually, named Nate, who, in, who talks about in, in a book entitled Here is Real Magic, an experience he has at the Shadipur Depot in New Delhi, India. I bought this book for someone else. But I was so intrigued by it that I decided to read it before I gave it to them. And if you're going to do that, you just need to be careful not to mark it up. Don't don't bend the pages. It's all. But you can get through a book without doing that. So I read the entire book. And then I snapped pictures of things that I wanted to remember. But in the book, it's, a, it's an autobiography about this magician, Nate Staniforth. And after years of traveling the U.S. to perform in magic... Show, like he did magic shows all over. He lost his passion for what he was doing. In the process, though, he read a book entitled Net of Magic, no connection to the Net Church, Net of Magic, Wonders and Deceptions of India, which is about a clan of magicians who have been present in India for nearly 3,000 years and who over that time have just been passing down their skills one generation to the next. And they do some ridiculous magic. Nate was looking at some of the pictures in the book and in in the words in his book, he said it was like no magic I'd ever seen before in America. So with that image in his mind and this idea of losing his kind of his passion for what he was doing, he said, I'm going to go to India. And he did it in hopes of finding in the lives of these magicians the wonder he was missing. I'm going to go learn from the teachers. I'm going to go learn and get help from the helpers. In the book, though, as it continues, he he just relates how terrible the conditions were in India, especially in this section of New Delhi known as Shadipur. It's a a residential slum. It's an environment worse than any of us could imagine. This is how the children live. This is their beach. But it turns out that it's here within the slum that Nate ultimately finds what he's looking for. But it doesn't come from the magic tricks performed by magicians who are 3,000 years into their craft. Instead, it comes through the people of New Delhi. The people make an impact on him. The people who reside in the worst part of the city. The people who one would think have nothing to offer. Here's how he describes his experience. He says, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Those children have faced hardship. I have no biblical text yet at all. The job of a pastor is to preach the word dreamed of and they will face it again and again. Their lives will be difficult for some of them. Their lives will be cut short. And yet by their very existence, those children expose my whining about jet lag and the challenges flying around the world to live out my dream as the crass sort of privileged nasal gazing. It is. There's no doubt at all. They have it bad. And I do not. But I thought about the toddler carrying the baby down the narrow alley, lifting him over the running sewer. So this is a story that he had told earlier in the book where he had, there was a toddler, three, four years old, picking up an infant brother, carrying him over essentially human waste, which is everywhere. But the child had this smile on his face as he was going past him. So he said the toddler 
looked at me as he approached, but he was, it was not a look of suffering. It was a look of pride. Here, stranger, look at my wonderful baby brother. See how carefully I carry him. See how big I have become to take on such an awesome task as this. See how my mother trusts me. I remember how the children of Shadipar poor uh, depot gathered at Ishumundin's home to learn and grow beyond the world of their birth. This is another story he tells about a, a family in the city who got their hands on a desktop computer and they would invite the children to come over and learn things on their computer. And so he says, they, the children, felt hope and pride despite their circumstances. And then he says this, listen. It would be easy to pity them. But I had only been there for an afternoon and knew nothing of their inner lives. I didn't want to label them as victims without their participation. It is a kind of arrogance to assume you know more about someone or something or everything than you do. Love this line. It leads you to act in ways you wouldn't if you better understood your own ignorance. Early, I wrote about the way a moment of wonder forces you to expand your understanding of the world. I have you had your moment of wonder yet? Because, you know, I'm, I'm wondering what on earth is this guy doing? Um, <clears throat> yeah. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with God's word? Why are you teaching and discipling these people in something other than the written word of God and the words of Christ and his actions, his death and his resurrection for our sins? Why are you redefining words like lost in such a way that people are now not embracing what the Bible says? This, this, is, this is a different religion altogether. It's best way I can put it. So we're going to pause right there, pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. When we come back, the balance of uh, contestant number five's worst Easter sermon of the year uh, entry. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. It's... Marty Python's Flying Circus Church.
Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey. I know a dead sermon when I preach one. And I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I better replace it then. Let's see here. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! <laughs> and exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich! <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box? <laughs> no, no, no. We 
preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Uh. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the job of a pastor is to, you know, preach the word and on Easter Sunday, open up that word and preach Christ crucified and risen from the grave. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to uh, you make a one-time contribution, click on the donate button. If you'd like to become a patron via Patreon, click on the become a patron button. If you would like to support us the traditional, the analog way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to post office box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's head back to the Net Church in Chattanooga as Ryan May is um, supposedly drawing life lessons and theology to share with 
the people there at the Net Church from Mr. Rogers' um, Won't You Be My Neighbor documentary. We continue. Shetty Poor Depot stretched mine so completely that it may never return to its original shape. What What is the author talking about here? I, I don't know. He's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Jude, Moses, Isaiah, or anyone like that. Why are you preaching on this again? He's talking about that moment of realization where as a helper, you discover the helpee, or in this case, the helpless, actually have something to offer in the relational exchange. Yeah, I again, I don't know anybody so arrogant as to think that somehow that they think that you know nobody has anything to offer them. Uh yeah, that's just just such a strange foreign concept to me. It's this realization that just when we think we're the ones who have it all together, just when we think we're the ones who know so much more, just when we think we're the ones who could who the world could learn a few things from. Why can't people just think more like me? Just when we says the guy who's teaching people how to think this way, <clears throat> just again, pointing out the, the, the abject hypocrisy of a view like this, it sounds so humble and stuff, but it is absolutely every bit as arrogant as the thing that it claims that it's critiquing that we discover if we're lucky enough to see it, that the world has something to teach us, that the world has something to give. That the child in Nate's case, who by all accounts should be miserable, isn't. Sometimes magic can be found in the least likely of places. Spoken like Rob Bell. You know, again, I'm convinced this guy has a lot of Rob Bell influences in his life. This is why we held the clip of Jeff Erlinger, the child with disabilities, for today. Because what makes that scene work when you watched it today? What drew you to tears? What makes you feel? It isn't Mr. Rogers. It's the boy. It's the helpy. It's the one with disabilities. He's the one. It's the one who we tend to see as the victim. He makes it magical. It's his presence that makes the whole scene work. It's when he begins to sing and then say, I'm not feeling blue either, that we lose it. Okay. In fact, this is this is what led Mr. Rogers to say, as he did at the start of the clip today, that the people who have had a lot of struggle in their lives, those are the people who really impress me. Yeah, that's taken from the book of Mr. Rogers, chapter 4, verse 16. It's not the ones who have it all together. It's not the ones who put up a good front. It's not us when we see ourselves as the helpers. It's the other, says the person who's trying to help people understand this. Which includes the ones we wouldn't expect to learn anything from. It's the ones in this series we've welcomed into the circle that have as much to offer as anyone else. But see, we miss that when we merely see them as a project. Again, I, I don't know who thinks of people merely as projects in their life. Again, that's just the weirdest thing. I am not familiar with these concepts. Instead of a contributing force within the body of Christ. 
Because while being able to say, I'm part of a church that allows those kind of people to attend. or um, Which churches would forbid the handicapped from attending? I, I, is that the point you're making? I, I don't know of a church like that either. Serve or be involved is great. It still kind of misses the point for us. But don't get me wrong. It's better than not letting them in or making them feel awkward when they come in. It's better than saying you can't serve. But it still kind of feels like we're doing them a favor, doesn't it? As if they're the victims and we're the saviors. Um, Christ is the savior. We're the perpetrators of sin. How's that? Which brings us to Easter of all things. Oh, finally, we're going to get to Easter. Okay, are you going to read out the account of Christ's bodily resurrection from the grave? Will you be mentioning his vicarious penal substitutionary death on the cross for our sins? Because nothing levels the playing field quite like a God dying for the whole world. Indeed. Puts us all on the same level as sinners in need of a Savior. Them and you. In fact, there's this beautiful conversation in the Gospel of John that takes place between Jesus and his disciples during the Last Supper. It's a week before Jesus is to be put to death. In this Last Supper, Jesus has explained to his disciples how to love. He's in essence saying, here's how you function with others in the circle. Because this thing's about to get so much bigger than it was before. There's going to be a lot more people in than you've ever known You've always thought they were out. Now they're in. So here's what. Yeah. Where did Jesus say that? That the circle's going to get bigger. So, you you know, you got to get used to the people who are in rather than out and stuff like that. Wh- which part of John is that in? I'm not familiar with Jesus's words along those lines. It sounds like you made them up and then pinned them to Jesus. What do you do with that? John fifteen twelve is his next line. Love each other in the same way I've loved you, Jesus says. Like basically, what do, you, what do we do with people when they're in the circle? You love them exactly like I've loved you. Well, how did Jesus love? He goes on to explain this. The first part of it is there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend, so we give of ourselves. Yes, exactly. We love our neighbors sacrificially. Now, let me read out uh, the section that he's reading from. This is from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Uh, This is on the night that Christ is betrayed. So uh, this is the day before his crucifixion. So he says this to his disciples. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So this is Christ's command. Greater love has no one than this, that that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Christ has indeed laid down his life for you and for me, so that we can be forgiven and reconciled and pardoned by God. And he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Oh, this is command. To believe in him, to, be, to repent, to be forgiven. So no longer do I call your, you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that the fruit that you should bear should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, that he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love 
one another. So that's the portion of Jesus' dialogue there uh, of what he's saying to the apostles. And we'll see what Ryan's going to do with this. But it's always intrigued me that he talks about friendship here. Because notice what he says in verse 15. This is a couple verses later. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does. You, you skipped a verse. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. He skipped a verse. Yeah. The greater love has no one than this unless someone lay down his life for his friends. He read that. You are my friends if you do what I command. That's what verse 14 says. And he just skipped that. Know what his master, know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. So again, how do you love? We treat them, treat them. Why did you skip verse 14? Um, how much you want to bet you skip verse 14? Because verse 14 contradicts your liberal postmodern theology. As your friends, you treat them as your friends. But here's, here's, what, here's what's always gotten me about this passage. Because if I, if I read this verse, and maybe you've had this same, same idea with this, for most of my life, I looked at the relationship with Jesus and the disciples, and I thought, but, he, but they weren't always friends. They weren't always, like, they were servants. And then they became friends. They weren't friends until this moment. Like, like at the Last Supper, they became friends of God because like for the first three years of the relationship. Well, notice again, Jesus's words. You are my friends. If you do what I command, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know. So Jesus at some point was calling them servants. He says, no longer now do I call you servants. You are my friends. If you do what I command, Jesus said, you know, it's funny that that verse that you left out, you know, sure does do a lot of explaining, you know, so I thought they were servants, but now they're friends. It's like it's like there was a point in the relationship. I always I always thought there was a point in the relationship between Jesus and disciples where they moved from servants to friends. Part where they were less than and then somehow they became equal. And I always assumed it was very late in the game. Like it, was, it was the Last Supper is where this all happened. They graduated at the Last Supper. There's like this. You are my servants, and now you are my friends. That's how I've always viewed it. Now, Well, Jesus said in the verse you skipped, no, you know, no longer do I call you servants. No longer. You are my friends. It was like this ceremony. Like they got a diploma or something, like a certificate. There's no mention of a ceremony or a graduation. Yeah, you just added that. That's a weird historical anachronism. Yeah, that was like Simon Peter. No, that's not even it. What is it? <laughs> it's like wedding mark. No, bump, 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 bump. That isn't that uh, the, uh, the what's used for the president of the United States? It's a different passage. What is? Dun 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 Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do at the eleven o'clock service. Dun 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 dun. Yeah, it just goes endlessly. Yeah, you're not exegeting this text, and you skipped an important verse that contradicts your, the point you're making. And the disciples are coming across, and she's like, good job, that's very good. And then Jesus gives up, and he gives this commencement speech. He's like, remember when you were just disciples? You remember all those years ago? You remember you were still in school learning from me and being educated and learning the books of the Bible and all that thing and all that. I taught you how to act and think and learn and... Taught you what to say and not say, and now you have 
You've, you've passed the test. Now everything has changed. Now your life has meaning. Now you can go out. Yeah, it doesn't say that in John 15. The difference because you are a friend of God. Tassel goes over and the whole, everything's great, right? Which honestly, that, like, that view of this story fit into what I believed about people. I'm the Christian. I'm the helper. I'm the one. Because I grew up believing, and maybe, again, maybe you can relate to that. I grew up believing that I, I held the truth and others need to know the truth. And the truth is, I, uh, Jesus is the truth. And, you know, the truth will set you free, Christ says. There is such thing as truth and error, and you're assuming what you're saying is true, Ryan. Only way I can know that they know the truth is if they say and do certain things the way that, and not say and do other things. And you know, kind of like the whole point of your sermon, right? I will, if they'll just do it this way, then I know that they have graduated. For most of my life, I understood John 15 to say they can only become my friends, my real friends, the kind that I see value in and the, the kind that can teach me something when they graduate, when they arrive. Yeah, again, you're not exegeting. Uh, the text itself, Jesus says, you are my friends, verse 14, the one you skipped, if you do what I command. Yeah, so, um, you know, again, I keep pointing out, I think the reason why you skipped that verse is because it contradicts the point you're trying to make here, Ryan. Cross the line. When they do, when they come to where I am, then, then we are friends. When they can contribute in some, then. Until that, though, I'm just going to continue to try to help these poor people. Which, honestly, has all my life felt like pity? I just didn't know what to call it. But it's what we do. Poor you, let us help you. Oh, they're just not there yet. Says the guy who's pointing out that these people, you know, they need to be taught this because they're just not there yet. They need to embrace these this new way of thinking that he's trying to teach them. Again, utter hypocrisy of this type of nonsense. And then something happened. Somewhere along the way, something changed. I started to seeing that perhaps, perhaps what was happening even at the Last Supper had nothing to do with the graduation. That maybe it had nothing to do with anyone arriving anywhere. Maybe it was just letting go of something for the disciples. Because here's what I began to notice. Maybe. I mean, there's such a world of possibilities. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of this and that. Who knows, you know? notice that in light of everything else Jesus taught, because you have to take Jesus' teachings in the context of Jesus' other teachings, that what makes more sense than Jesus actually viewing the disciples as servants, and now you're my friend, is that this is how the disciples always viewed themselves in relationship to Christ. And I would argue this is how historically humanity has viewed themselves in relationship to God. And we just... Just, I'm just, just a servant here, God. Don't strike me, God. But if we flip that, like then, then perhaps what we have here is when Jesus says, "You're, I know, I no longer call you servants." Like is just his way of saying that. Look, there's no need to continue this charade here. There's no need for you to think that God views you any longer. You, you just like that. 
This whole idea of servant, you just don't need to view it that way because he doesn't view you that way. In fact, neither do I. And neither should you in your relationship. I mean, that's just one possibility. But the problem is, is that Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants. No, no longer. Yeah. With one another. Remember, the whole context of this is loving others. Like what Jesus is doing, he's declaring, as he did throughout his entire ministry, that God sees you as more than that. God isn't who you've always believed God to be. Because God wants a relationship with you. You can't have a relationship with a servant. And so what he does is, it's not, it's, God doesn't want him here and you here. But God doesn't bring you up to here because you're not God. So what does God do? God comes down here. This is the story. He comes to us. This is why in the Last Supper you find Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. It's like he's saying, look, if anybody's going to be a servant, it's going to be me. Okay, You, you are not. I'm, I'm not going to force you to come to where I am. I want to come to you, and I'm going to even get below you at times. Like I'm going to, I'm going to learn. I'm going to take on the role of the servant because he's trying to make a point. Well, yeah, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about that point. That whole point is made in the Incarnation. Regarding the fact that Jesus, although he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but you know, made himself nothing, was found in the form of a servant, and was obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Yeah, and we are to, therefore, because of this, consider others as greater than ourselves. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the implication, yeah. He's trying to show the disciples, because this is it. Like the, He's about to leave, and it's just them and their new circle where all these people are going to be in it. And he's trying to show them, this is how you love. This is what you do with other people. It's all about making sure that no one feels less than you. That we're all equal. We're all friends here. Scripture says to consider others as better than yourself. Philippians 2. We've always been that. But they need to know that's how things work. What if that's what he's doing in this? T- like, what if that's what this is? What if it's not? A, what if it's not a lesson about pulling people up to where you are, helping them arrive? Those poor souls. Let, let's try to get them to where we are in our understanding of things and our maturity. Says the guy who's trying to get people to where he is in his understanding of things. Yeah, and just pointing it out. Strange, isn't it? Yeah. It's a lesson about seeing that you're no different than them and we're all the same. And that, what if that's how love works? It's not about what if, what if? We should give it a try, I guess. We should just experiment or something. Yeah. Who cares about, you know, applying ourselves to the text to rightly understand what it says there? I mean, so many options here. Maybe we should try this one and, you know, maybe that'll work. I, I don't know. Yeah. Weird. Pulling people up, it's about, it's less about pity, it's more about humility. How do we, how do we know that? Because sometimes that's how things are. That's like, this is how life works, right? Sometimes we all do things like walk into stores with reproductive organs on the back of a grocery list. Sometimes counsel. Yeah, I haven't done that yet. 
just as messed up as their clients. Yeah, they are. They're they're sinful human beings too. Sometimes those with privilege can learn from a toddler in a slum on the other side of the world. Sometimes. that's life. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. That's how it works. No one's above anyone else. No one has it all together. Scripture says, because of Christ's incarnation and his humbling himself, we, should, we are to consider others as greater than ourselves. What if the only way to strengthen the relationship is to give the power away? What if that's how we begin to see value in what the other has to offer in the relationship? What if that's how we move from graceful to... What if? What if? Yeah, well, again, Scripture says, consider others as better than yourselves, greater than yourselves. ...to true equality by stepping out of pastor mode and taking on the role of a servant by realizing that at times help comes from the least, least likely sources. What if the one thing, if we're not careful, will undermine all that we've accomplished is a sense that we always have the thing to offer somebody else? Instead, yet we always have things to offer to other people. Our good works are for our neighbors. Again, this is just utter nonsense. Of expand- this is just postmodern SJW musing. Our understanding of the world to include the possibility that we all have something to offer. Let's pray. Done. Oh, man, that was horrifying. So there you go. That is this year's offering. All five sermons are now out for you to review, peruse, and vote on. And voting will uh, will be made available once we post this podcast and it'll be up for more than a week. Uh, you know, it, it might even be you know closer to two. But uh, you know, when when this is all said and done, we'll have a live stream on our YouTube channel to announce the winner. And uh, the the voting you'll be able to do over at fightingforthefaith.com. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Until next week, may God richly bless you. The grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.